0: Only you are the judges of the believability of the witnesses and of the weight to be given to the testimony of each of them. You are not to concern yourselves with possible possible punishment or sentence for the offense charged during your deliberations. Neither sympathy nor prejudice should influence you. You should not be influenced by any person's race, color, religion, or national ancestry, gender, or sexual orientation.
1: From WBEZ Chicago and the Chicago Tribune, this is 16 Shots, the police shooting of Laquan McDonald. I'm Jen White. Today, the defense and prosecution delivered their closing arguments. We wanted to bring you the highlights from those arguments, so we're going to play some excerpts. First, you'll hear from Prosecutor Jody Gleason, then Jason Van Dyke's defense attorney, Dan Herbert. The prosecutors then get to make a rebuttal argument because they have the burden of proof here. So, lead prosecutor Joseph McMahon gets the last word with the jurors.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're at the uh, conclusion of the trial. And closing arguments are a uh, discussion of the facts that have been proven at trial, reasonable inferences to be drawn from the facts, along with circumstantial evidence. All right, at this time, uh, closing arguments. Stay. Laquan McDonald was never going to walk home that night. The defendant decided that on the way to the scene. You heard what it was that he said, I guess we'll have to shoot him. It wasn't the knife in Laquan's hand that made the defendant kill him that night. It was his indifference to the value of Laquan's life. We know the defendant contemplated the decision to shoot Laquan before he even got out of his vehicle, before he even laid eyes on Laquan McDonald at the scene. When he was a block and a half away, he was contemplating shooting him, and he never adjusted that mindset once he got onto the scene to see what was really happening. He says that Laquan McDonald looked at him, with an expressionless face and bugged-out eyes. He told uh, Dr. Miller that he looked into Laquan's soul. Really? He looked at Laquan McDonald for six seconds. Six seconds before he made the irrevocable decision to shoot him. Not once, but 16 times. What was Laquan doing? He was veering away from the officer. He was surrounded by police officers, and an officer with a taser was 30 seconds away. The defendant had a million other options that he could have used other than firing that gun. And the biggest one he could have used was time, patience, We know that that taser car arrived within 25 seconds or so from Walsh kicking that gun away from Laquan. He shot too early, he shot too often, and he shot for way too long. He fired 16 shots into Laquan McDonald's body where no regional police officer could believe it was necessary. Not the first shot, and certainly not the 16th shot. This is not the Wild West out here, when an officer can shoot an individual using deadly force and then try to justify it later. Now, from the very beginning, the defendant has exaggerated the threat. Do you recall? He told Detective March, the detective who was on the scene that night, that when McDonald was within 10 to 15 feet of him, McDonald looked at him and raised the knife across his chest, over his shoulder, pointing the knife at him. He also told the detective that in defense of his life, he backpedaled and fired a handgun at McDonald to stop the attack. None of that happened. You've seen the videos. He made it up. The defendant's authority to use deadly force is not unbridled and not without restraint. And you know what? When deadly force is used, when it's not necessary, when it's not justified, it is first-degree murder. it's 16 counts of aggravated battery, and it is official misconduct because no one is above the law.
2: Good morning. Let me begin by thanking each and every one of you for your time, your attention throughout these past three weeks. You've been great, but your job is just beginning. In this case, your job is to interpret it how a reasonable police officer would have acted. We as civilians We can't recognize a lot of things that police officers can. The prosecutors, you know, the most dangerous part of their day is crossing a busy street to go to Starbucks. We have to look at this from Jason Van Dyke's perspective. The video is not enough. Ask yourself. They keep talking about this taser, this taser was only 30 seconds away. All right, well, 30 seconds in that situation? First of all, Jason Van Dyke, nor anyone else out there, knew that this car was 30 seconds away. The prosecutors want you to think, well, he should have just waited 30 seconds, right? Isn't that what the argument is? Well, I think that demonstrates the, how preposterous their argument is, and their charges are in this case, first-degree murder. It's unprecedented. It's unprecedented for a police officer who responds to a scene, is called to a scene, comes upon an individual with a knife, acting in this strange manner, first-degree murder, you heard the prosecutor throughout this case, but they've been talking about Laquan and what, what he did to Laquan, Jason Van Dyke. And I would ask you to, to really don't believe those fake tears by the prosecutors about Laquan. Because had Laquan McDonald dropped that knife and given up, they would have prosecuted him. They would have put him back in that cage that they had him for years prior to him being out on the street that night. If if Laquan McDonald um, did not appear to be some kid whacked out on PCP, acting really bizarrely, if this was a kid in a, in a Boy Scout uniform uh, just walking down the street with a knife um, and Jason Van Dyke shot him, yeah, probably wouldn't be justified, but it's not. I mean, I don't know what Laquan would have done. I don't know if he would have attacked Jason Van Dyke. None of us do. The video shows that he turned and raised the knife over his shoulder, looked right at him, targeting, changed his stance. Think about a monster movie. When they're walking down the street and say there's, the, the victim is hiding in the bush, you know, there's not much danger here but when that monster suddenly stops and turns and looks right at that, that victim in the bush, I, I think I said that's when the music starts to play. That's when, that's when the, the filmmakers are like, okay, I got them right now. Police are here to serve and protect. They can't retreat. They can't run away like us. And they have to encounter people that create their own destiny. I told you Laquan McDonald was the author, the choreographer of this story. And Jason Van Dyke had to be brought into it. So I'm going to ask you, when you go back to the jury room and you start deliberating with your uh, fellow jurors, just remember that you know sometimes the, the right decision is not always easiest decision but you you owe it to yourself to make the right decision here you also owe it to Jason Van Dyke he chose you he chose you he's putting his fate in your hands and if you review the evidence fair impartially I think there's really only uh, one decision you can make and that's not guilty. Thank you. Thank you,
0: Mr. Herbert. Mr. McMahon.
3: Thank you, Judge. Mr. Herbert, just a couple of minutes ago, said a couple of things that I want to talk about briefly. One of the things that caught my attention was, and I think this is a quote, a Boy Scout doing the exact same thing That probably wouldn't be reasonable. We wouldn't be here. What's the difference between a Boy Scout acting the way Laquan was and Laquan McDonald? When the defendant took that witness stand, he claims that he killed Laquan McDonald for four reasons. One, he had a knife. Two, Laquan was within 12 to 15 feet of Jason Van Dyke. Three, Van Dyke told him to drop the knife, and Laquan ignored him. And four, Laquan had big, bulging eyes, and he looked right at him. Let's explore those claims in detail and compare what the defendant did with what was necessary by every other police officer and citizen that encountered Laquan in any way that night. First, it was Mr. Rudy Barillas and his wife. He fended off Laquan McDonald with a cell phone and a fistful of rocks. How about Officer McElligot walking down 40th Street? Officer McElligot is alone on the street without the nine other officers that are going to show up with Jason Van Dyke and surround Laquan. McElligot doesn't shoot. He doesn't shoot because it wasn't necessary. We're here because Jason Van Dyke didn't value the life of Laquan McDonald enough to do anything but shoot him. He and Officer Walsh, his partner, They went there to stop Laquan McDonald, just as Officer Walsh told you when he walked in here and testified from that witness stand. Someone needed to arrest Laquan McDonald, not stop him with a hail of gunfire. You heard from father and son Jose and Xavier Torres. They saw Laquan walking on Pulaski, surrounded by police walking away from the police without any threatening actions when the defendant shot and killed him. The defendant has committed serious crimes and we must hold him accountable like we hold every other citizen accountable. When he shot the first time, it was completely unnecessary. Laquan went down. Van Dyke saw this. He told you. He told you he had tunnel vision. Before he fired that first shot, he was predisposed to shooting Laquan McDonald before he even arrived. Jason Van Dyke shot Laquan McDonald for walking past him and ignoring his commands to stop and drop the knife. Even that biased, self-serving animation shows the indefensible acts of murdering Laquan McDonald. His own animation shows a murder and five counts of aggravated battery with a firearm, and it ends early. You know Laquan hits the ground hard and fast after it ends, And you know what happens after they end the video. It's Jason Van Dyke firing bullets, ripping into the flesh of Laquan McDonald 16 times. That's not justified. That's not necessary. That's first-degree murder.
1: We wanted to get a sense for how each side took advantage of this, their last chance in front of the jury. To do that, we brought back Sharon Mitchell. He's a former Cook County Assistant Public Defender and is now Deputy Director of the Illinois Justice Project. So, Sharon, we heard closing statements from the prosecution, the defense, and the rebuttal. We'll go through each one. When we look at the closing statement, the prosecution laid out, there was focus on Jason Van Dyke's actions and really trying to lay out this case that force was not necessary, that level of force that Jason Van Dyke um, used when he shot his weapon 16 times into Laquan McDonald, it was unnecessary. How effectively was that argument laid out?
4: I'm not sure how effective it was. They really started with, with the limitations on an officer instead of kind of going into how bad the conduct Jason Van Dyke Um, allegedly uh, uh, was participating in. Um, It was a lot about no one is above the law, being very respectful of the role that police officers play, but saying that kind of Jason Van Dyke went a step too far.
1: Now, in the defense's closing statement, Dan Herbert lays out this picture of Jason Van Dyke not really having other options, that the situation was urgent, that he was acting like a good cop, sort of heroically protecting the public. How effective was that?
4: I think that it was relatively effective. Um, He kind of switched between two kind of theories. First, this idea that he was a hero. But second, this idea that he was just a guy with a family that was scared of this kind of scary monster. So, you know, we talked about earlier um, putting Laquan McDonald on trial. And that is certainly what happened. I mean, literally calling him a monster, um, Colleen has saying he was raging for the 24 hours. It was all about the actions of Laquan McDonald and really physically said that if he had just dropped the knife, the situation would have been over.
1: So the prosecution then has a chance to come back and present a rebuttal argument in response to the defense's closing statement. How did they use that rebuttal?
4: Well, they focused really in on the defense's Argument about perspective, and they really wanted to show the jury the perspective of Jason Van Dyke. So they literally played the um, audio of the police radio, and then after they played the audio, they showed the video. They really wanted to show the jury: this is what Jason Van Dyke saw, this is what Jason Van Dyke heard, and in response, he you know shot uh, Laquan McDonald sixteen times.
1: And when you listen to the dispatch um, communications. Between the dispatcher and the officers on the scene, you hear her calling for a taser to come to the scene. And were they trying to set up the sense that there wasn't as much urgency
4: as as the defense team has tried to argue? That's what it sounded like. I mean, one of the major themes in the prosecution's case was that if Jason Van Dyke just waited – waited longer than, you know, seconds than there would have been a taser on scene and the situation could have resolved in a non-fatal way.
1: The prosecution spent some time during that rebuttal reminding jurors of the actions of not just the other officers on the scene, but the civilians Mm -hmm. who Laquan McDonald encountered that night. What were they trying to do?
4: So when they talk about the civilians, they're trying to point out the fact that it was not necessary or justified for Jason Van Dyke to use deadly force so the individual um the truck driver that encountered laquan mcdonald first was able to fend him off with just rocks in his cell phone right the idea is that he's not a trained police officer he doesn't have a gun he doesn't have training and even him in his limited capacity was able to fend off laquan mcdonald this kind of cuts against the idea that he was a raging threat that was attacking people and was going to injure somebody if he had the chance
1: and when it comes to the actions of the other officers that night?
4: Yeah, they played a, paid a lot of attention to the idea that there were five squad cars out there and there were 10 other officers out there. And there were officers that got there before Jason Van Dyke was there. And they made the decision not to shoot uh, Laquan McDonald. So it's in contrast. What was different about those other officers? And do the things that Jason Van Dyke said, that he, the reasons why he shot... Didn't those other officers have those same reasons? And didn't they make the decision not to shoot?
1: So it's interesting. We've heard several people say over the course of this trial that Laquan McDonald is not the person being tried. However, the defense's closing statement, again, bring up the PCP that was in his system. They bring up the fact that he wasn't on his antipsychotic medications. And while Laquan McDonald isn't on trial, that is evidence that... Can be presented for the jury to consider.
4: No, essentially, it's a self-defense case, and in self-defense cases, this is what you classically, this is what you always see. You see the defense attorney trying to move the attention away from the actions of the defendant. Herbert wants the jury to be thinking about Laquan McDonald and Laquan McDonald only. What Laquan did what drugs he ingested, how he was acting, whether he attacked officers, whether he attacked civilians. The more the jury thinks about Laquan McDonald, the more likely the defense believes that they will get a good result for their client.
1: So the jury is going into deliberations. Jason Van Dyke has been charged with first-degree murder, 16 counts of aggravated battery and official misconduct. But the jury's been given instructions that they can consider second-degree murder. Talk about the difference between first and second degree murder charges. So
4: first degree murder essentially means that beyond a reasonable doubt that the individual was killed and killed without lawful justification. Those are things that the state has to prove. Forget second degree The defense can prove then that he or she, the defendant, believed that killing would have been lawfully justified, but that belief was unreasonable. So essentially, Jason Van Dyke did kill Laquan McDonald and that his actions were without justification, but that he had unreasonable belief that he was incorrect in the thought that he uh, was justified.
1: And when it comes to the aggravated battery charges, there's been a lot of time spent in the trial with both sides going through each bullet wound on Laquan McDonald's body. How does that come into play as the jury is considering the verdict?
4: Well, remember, there are 16 different charges of aggravated battery, and each of those have to be justified so that a lot of the debate back and forth uh, is on, how many shots were justified you know the state would say none of them were justified but even if you believe the first was justified certainly the next 15 or next 14 or whatever number you want to say was not justified and the defense's argument essentially is that this is all one act it's not 16 different acts it's all one act he was trained to eliminate the threat and just when you shoot one you shoot sixteen,
1: and then that final charge of official misconduct. What would the jury have to believe to find him guilty of that?
4: That he broke the law, and that he did it in a, in, as a, as a police officer, that he was working for the government.
1: So, as you think about the jury heading into deliberations and and considering the cases before by both the prosecution and the defense. Starting with the prosecution, what are those key pieces of evidence you think they're going to be taking into consideration?
4: Well, I think there are three things. I think there's first this idea of premeditation. Now, certainly there's a little bit of debate back and forth. There could be about what premeditation is. But the fact remains is that there is evidence that Jason Van Dyke, before he got to the scene, um, at least contemplated that he might have to shoot or his partner might have to shoot uh, Laquan McDonald.
1: But Sharon, premeditation isn't part of the first degree murder statute in Illinois. So why does it matter?
4: Listen, we're humans, and jurors are humans, and they watch TV, and they watch Law and & Order, and the idea that a person thought about doing something before they did it, I think gives folks a bit more confidence that that act was illegal. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the actions of the other officers like we just talked about, right? This idea that other officers had uh, the chance of doing what Jason Van Dyke did and chose not to. And I think the third thing is kind of uh, how Jason Van Dyke uh, tried to explain away uh, what happened and the fact that there was um, major differences between his description of the events and what the video showed.
1: If those are the three major considerations for the prosecution, um, as jurors are considering the case the
4: defense laid out, what will they be thinking about those key pieces of evidence? Well, I think the defense is going to want to key on the fact that Jason Van Dyke was just doing his job, um, that he was put in harm's way by Laquan McDonald, and he reacted in the manner that which he was trained to do. I think they obviously want to focus on the fact that Laquan McDonald was a danger uh, to not just Jason Van Dyke, but all of the officers on the scene and whoever was potentially in any stores uh, surrounding the area.
1: That's Sharon Mitchell Jr. He's a former Cook County Assistant Public Defender and is now Deputy Director of the Illinois Justice Project. Sharon, thank you. Thank you so much. Jason Van Dyke's fate is now in the hands of the jury. We don't know how long it will take them to reach a verdict, but as the jury deliberates and Chicago prepares, we'll be keeping a close eye. So check this podcast feed regularly for any updates. 16 Shots is a production of WBEZ Chicago and the Chicago Tribune. You can find out more about the case at wbez.org 16 Shots. In the morning rush or the end-of-day hustle, find the news on the WBEZ mobile app. Catch up and stay informed on your schedule from wherever you are. Available now for Android or iOS.